0: It's because we've politicized everything. Problems aren't problems anymore. They're, for the left, what is their approach? For the right, what is their approach? And it's because the political system is broken. And obviously, most of the listeners, and we know it's also the, the financial system, is completely broken.
1: Hello there. How are you all? You having a good week? Real Bedford won again last night. A massive 3 0 win away at Northampton Silby. The title is very close, it's nearly in the bag. Also, we've just announced all our guests for WBD Live. It's on April the 14th in Bedford, and we've got Ben Ark, James Lavish, Lawrence Leppard, and Jeff Booth all coming to my hometown. I can't wait. If you want to get yourself a ticket, please head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got a newcomer on the show. I've got Trey Walsh. Now he reached out to me a couple of months ago. He dropped us a An article he had written for Bitcoin magazine called Bitcoin Creates Hope for a Generation Found Hopeless. Now, listen, Trey is a progressive. So naturally, in this conversation, we talked about a number of kind of progressive ideas with Bitcoin. Now, before you start getting triggered, because I know some people will, that we've got this kind of like historical record with the podcast when we have people from the left, people from the right get a bit triggered and start yelling at us on YouTube. And then if we have lots of people from the right, people from the left are saying, Why is it only people from the right? you know what we do here. We try and be fair. We try and listen to everyone. And I think it's important in a polarized world that we try and have a little bit more empathy for how other people see the world. So I'm always going to do this. So if you're thinking of coming on and yelling at me, just try and take a step back, try and have a think about other people's opinions and why they maybe see the world that way. Okay. Hope that's okay. Anyway, it's been very good. We've been growing out this kind of progressive group of Bitcoiners, which I think is very helpful because we want Bitcoin to be apolitical. We want everyone to benefit from Bitcoin adoption. These banking issues we're seeing right now, they affect everyone. It doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. Anyway, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please do drop me an email. It's hello at did.com, Or please do come over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. One of the good things about story is you're not going to be able to censor or like, yeah. the content's more pure. Yeah. But that might be a problem for its scaling because I think some people are like, I just don't want to deal with this shit.
0: Yeah. 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 It's going to hit. It's going to have a problem at some point for sure.
1: Yeah. And it's whether it appeals to people. Yeah. I can see why it appeals to Bitcoiners.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a Bitcoin chat room. That's why, that's yeah. why I like it right now. Um, but if it gets too toxic or too crazy, um, that'll, that'll turn me off from it too. Um, well,
1: I, I just think, can it scale outside of a Bitcoin chat room? I yeah. can see why a bunch of Bitcoiners have naturally yeah. come to it. I mean, it, it suits them. It's, yeah. They're in that kind of world of Bitcoin yeah. decentralization. Yeah, yeah. I don't, think, I don't think my brother, sister, friends no. give a shit about a decentralized Twitter. No. no, 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 not at all sell it to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, did you enjoy last
0: night? I did. It was a lot of fun. Um, as I was saying to Danny, it was just cool seeing um, seeing some people in New York, a city that I love, but I haven't associated with Bitcoin before. And I know a lot of people flew in, but there were still a lot of local people here. And I met a uh, d- bunch of different people last night. Some people that are like, oh, I'm really into Ethereum. I re-. So you get um, not only Bitcoin, but especially in any city, you get crypto curious people. Um, so it was interesting, and just like super nice people. I don't know what I was expecting, but everyone was super nice, super friendly. Um, it was great. Well, it was you, great. you find that in person. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's
1: funny you, you can um, kind of hold a, a mirror up to the to the uh, the kind of toxic online crowd yeah, and yeah. say this is what happens in person, right? And you never get
0: that. No, everyone's no, no. just
1: super nice. We yeah. have
0: a good conversation. I had a twenty-minute conversation with someone about like their kids and just like them raising kids. Like, it's just amazing. Like connect, like connecting with people, and I think that's what we we miss. And you know, I'm like, I need to get out to more of these things. You know, and um, not just be on Bitcoin Twitter with with all of this. It's nice. So, what's it like being a lefty Bitcoiner? What's um, funny? Huddle last night was like, hey, June Seth, I found you a progressive from Massachusetts um, last night. Um, well, I think it's getting easier. Um, I've connected a lot with Jason Meyer, for sure. Um, Jason's great. Yeah. I I looked back at his show and I'm like, you know, I don't want a a repeat of that show, but there's so many things where I'm just like, hey, just go check out that show um, that he did. Because that's a lot of the ways I feel about um, this divide. And I think the past year on your show, but in Bitcoin in general um, has shown people, uh, Bitcoin is for everyone, but um, there's so many things I could say about it. Because America too, what I tell people and you've said this a lot, like everything in America is left-right. I'll give you a good example. That, that train wreck that happened recently in Ohio yep. with the chemicals, that's left-right in the United States. So what's the left argument? What's the right argument? Well, no, the left argument is basically saying the right uh, is, um, there's a lot of like conspiracy theory on the right about this. And the okay. right is saying the left doesn't care, this happened. The reality is that's a crazy thing that happened. Can we just report on it?
1: Yeah, it doesn't help. Then there's another derailment a few days
0: later. Exactly, exactly. So, again, it's one of those things where if the right's saying it, the left's like, what's going to be our opposing point to it? Um, But then again, you have mass shootings in this country, and the right is mum about it and the left is talking. So every issue, there's gonna be something.
1: But you where... need guns to protect yourself from an authoritarian government. Right, I've, I've heard that, I've heard that. Um, I think personally- Someone
0: else talked about that last night too, that was interesting. Jinseth um, brought it up. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah.
1: No, no. Uh, I, you know, look, if you want your guns, have your guns. It's- That's um, how I feel. Yeah. What's, what's his name? Uh, the fucking comedian got it best. Google him, Australian comedian, guns. You've <laughs> never seen this guy. No,
0: I almost thought like you said, I feel like Jim Gaffigan had. Yeah, Jeff Jeffries. you oh, Jeff, this. Okay, okay. He How sounds about? familiar. You've never seen this. I don't think so.
1: Oh my God, you have to see this. So this guy talks about guns, and he's mm. like, look, I accept your you know, uh, uh, Second Amendment rights to protect no. yourself. I accept that. And he says, but what I don't accept is lies and bullshit. There's one reason and one right. reason only to own a gun, and he says, because you fucking love guns
0: yeah i would agree with that <laughs> that's what it yeah. is yeah
1: and like all this bullshit they use to mask or justify little kids getting shot in schools yeah i just find it repugnant just yep. stop lying yeah this
0: is bullshit yep and uh, gosh so Someone on Twitter, uh, people can look up the tweet, posted yesterday. Um, I, I felt really strong about this. They posted a picture of a hardware wallet, and they said, I never understand Bitcoiners who don't like guns. That was the post. And then um, Anita... I'm blanking on anita Posch. Posch? Yes, Anita Posh. Dan Hell tweeted that thing. Yes, Dan Hell tweeted it.
1: Was so. it Dan Hill tweet?
0: Huh? Yeah. Well, Dan, Dan likes guns. Yeah. So, which I'm fine with. I'm definitely in the... Um, I'm more of like, when I, when I think about myself and progressivism, I'm still definitely like libertarian leaning progressive, where I'm just like, you guys can do whatever you want. Um, but when you start conflating guns with Bitcoin, you're gonna turn people off. And that's what I've talked to a few people on the right about. I'm Absolutely. like, listen, I have a lot of respect for you. Um, and like, because I'm into Bitcoin, I can look past your bullshit, but some people who aren't into it associate it. Um, and my wife and I talk about this all the time. And a lot of my friends, like I know they would associate it with um, Ted Cruz with guns with and and that's the problem. So it, it's just that difference where I'm like I, I don't personally care what you do with that, but conflating that and I and Anita pointed it out and she's like luckily um you know you don't have to like guns to be into Bitcoin, and I commented I was just like thank you for for saying that and then there was a lot of like chip posting after that a lot cool. of people a lot of people were like oh yeah that, that's great Bitcoin's for everyone um and I've met most people even those that are on the right that are getting around to understanding, people that used to shit posts like that a lot are getting around to understanding Bitcoin is for everyone. And I've seen that message uh, shifting, but real quick before we lose the thought, back to like, what's it like being a progressive in Bitcoin? So, and I got into Bitcoin in like 2021, like early 2021. And listening to like, honestly, Willie, Alex Gladstein, um, a couple of the, your first shows with them had me sh- you know, see that Bitcoin is like, okay, this global thing. And so that allowed me to get into Bitcoin. And then I researched it on my own, kind of ignoring Twitter for a bit, just reading books. Then I got back on Twitter and um, I, (laughs) one of my first like encounters with someone big, I was probably like four or five months into Bitcoins with Safedine. And if this had happened my first day into Bitcoin, I mean, I still would have been into Bitcoin, but for some people that could be a real turnoff. He was posting about like classic like states meats carnivore diet whatever, and I was like, uh, oh, I'm a I'm a vegan. Um, you know, how do you feel about that? Whatever. And it, I wasn't even shit posting. I, I I forgot what it was, but he like was like, oh, I'm sorry, you're malnourished, and uh, like really dug in deep. And I was like, holy shit! Like that was pretty. That was pretty dark. That was pretty aggressive. Like this dude doesn't know my diet. He doesn't. I don't know his. Like I'm not. I'm not saying that you can be a healthy carnivore or whatever. And uh, then he immediately blocked me. And I'm like, dude, I have like 300 followers on Twitter. That is pathetic. Like, it was so funny. I'm still blocked to this day by him, but I love the Bitcoin standard. Like, I I still would recommend that book to people. Um, It's just so funny that that, but that was a year, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, I do think the tide's turning, I really do. Well, the
1: vegan thing makes me laugh. The, the healthiest I've ever been was when I was a vegan. And I've heard you say that a yeah, lot. Yeah, I was
0: honestly, I was in
1: great shape. I felt good, slept well, my yeah. skin was good. I was running fast. Yeah. I got my uh, 10K down to, did I get my 10K down to 47 minutes? Wow. And I used to be a one hour 10K guy. Yeah. And then I got my 5K down to 20, 22 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I was fast, I yeah. was light, I felt great. My only problem with it was is the, I feel like the only way to be a, a healthy vegan is you have to prep your meals. You have yeah, to be very good. Lot. If yeah. you're eating out yeah. and eating from- For you cafes. guys, it's
0: tough. I mean, I mean, going around and doing it. In New York, it's a bit easier, but um, even where I'm at in Boston, it can be. Tough,
1: yeah. yeah, and that's what happened that first year when I made all my meals. I was super healthy, yeah. great, and yeah. then when I went back to work, I just struggled with it. Yeah. I often think of going back though. I felt so fucking good. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rich Roll was there, Lawson. Do you know yeah.
0: Rich? I, so I know of Rich. That was really cool when you said that. I was like, because I knew of Rich before. Like I know of him. I I, I didn't like dive in deep or anything, but uh, that was way before Bitcoin. And so seeing him there, I'm like, whoa, this is this is crazy. Probably crazy for you too. Like,
1: well, I mean, he's the guy who got me into Bitcoin. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. Bitcoin. He got me into podcasting, yep. and uh, like he's been a bit of a mentor and yeah. good. Friend, and yeah, you know, it was just this lucky coincidence he was in town, so yeah. he came out. And it's it's quite funny because those two worlds conversion of Bitcoin and Rich Roll really like really freaks some people out. They're like, yeah. how, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the vegan thing, I mean, look, look safety is going to block and shower for it sure. won, for, yeah, yeah. for all kinds of yeah. uh, reasons for people who disagree with him. Yeah. That, that's his fine, that's his shtick. But uh, the progressive thing uh, is important, and there's like an alignment with that, that why it is, is that. yeah. Bitcoin adoption and understanding awareness is going to grow and scale quicker than uh, a core ideology of no seed oils, carnivore, guns, yeah. and so we recognise that. Me and Danny talked about it a lot last year, and we were like, "This is this is growing quick." Yeah. And the most important thing for conservative bitcoiners is that they embrace progressive bitcoiners. Yeah. Or they embrace progressives and teach them about Bitcoin. Yeah and you have a united front on this one issue. Because if you don't, all you're going to do is bring regulation and threats to Bitcoin. And so the most important thing, like I said, Jason Meyer's book is the most important book written for conservatives. And so we embrace it. I think it's been great. Uh, I think sadly, because there's been a lot of weird shit, especially like you see a lot of it on that um, live to TikTok. There's Mm. a lot of weird stuff that happens on the left. People assume everyone who's a progressive is on that super weird end, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is not, it, and I find that that's like uh, that's like conflating uh, the uh, white nationalists with everyone on the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to forget these fucking crazy people and just yeah. listen, listen to the r- real conversations that people happen about these policies and ideas,
0: yeah. And I'm I'm equally. Well, it depends on the issue, equally critical of the left for sure, because I'm like, you guys, especially during COVID, I was like, you're being fucking annoying. <laughs> like you're being really annoying and you're actually drawing people to those fringe groups because of how annoying you're being on policies that shouldn't have been act- enacted or um like more totalitarian leaning, uh, we want the government to be in every aspect of your lives. Like that. that's not, um and, and I'm, Progressive, not in that way, but a lot of people don't, just don't think about it. Um, so I'm definitely equally critical of that, and it and it is annoying. But I'd say on the right, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners, the the Bitcoin OGs, and the people I really respect in the Bitcoin community who are on the right, when I've talked to them, when I've interacted with them, or messaged them, or spoke to some of them last night, they're great people, and they're nice. like, "Dude, Bitcoin's for everyone." Like yeah. that's our core core belief. The others are just clickbaity and loud, and they actually don't matter. To to Bitcoin, some some of them I think, you know I I try to remind people like, hey, when I show something like this to my normal friends, they're like, you guys are fucking crazy, like you know you cra- I'm like, yeah. gotta remember in your echo chamber it sounds like oh we all get it, but to a normal person they're like, what what does that even mean? What what are you talking about? Yeah um,
1: yeah. Uh- Guys, you need to check out this new decentralized form of money that's out of state control. It's yeah. going to be really good because that means the government can't touch money. Yeah, and you don't want the government in your money because yeah. the government—they, you know—they're really fucking bad at managing money. So basically, we're going to run all these machines all around the world, and they're going to do this thing called mining yeah. and build this blockchain so we can spend this money. Right, right. <laughs> like what?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck did you just and then, say? Like back up, like to. I mean, think about it. Like, how long did it take? You or how long did it take me or others? And I, who said it recently? Um, Maybe it was Troy said something about like, um, you don't have to understand, like you're always gonna be learning something new about Bitcoin. Like, you know, even me just being in it two years, I just started to grasp on the concept maybe a year in after reading a lot. Um, And I think that's how you have to approach people. But I also, Last night, I was talking to someone and also said, like everyone has their role in Bitcoin. You're gonna have the people that need to talk to government officials. You're gonna need the people that are like, no, screw this, Like we hate the government, we're anarchists. You're gonna need the liberals. You're gonna need the people on the right. You need every every type of person using their specific gifts and focus. You don't need everyone to think that we need to ally with the government uh, for Bitcoin. That would probably be bad. But also, you can't have everyone being like, screw the state, we need to end the government anarchy now and Bitcoin only, um, you need that, that depth. And that's what we're, we're seeing more. And I think getting those voices out there is really important. Well, that's the rich tapestry of life, yeah.
1: which Bitcoin will become part of yeah, or is part of yeah, and yeah, will yeah. spread throughout. Yeah. But what won't happen is we won't have this Bitcoin monoculture right. that scales to 8 billion people. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And, and I think the sooner some people accept that some people see the world differently from them, mm-hmm. expect different laws or different ways to organize society, the better. Because I think they're gonna get very disappointed and their ideas will become more fringe and more niche, yeah. and they'll probably just become more angry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they're not gonna change anything right. doing that. Like going on Nostra or Twitter and yelling at somebody it has zero effect. Yeah. It doesn't make you look good. No. It doesn't change anyone's mind. Yeah. what What does work is conversations where people try to come to the table. Yeah and share ideas and work around things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the same with Bitcoin. Like with someone like Elizabeth Warren, I mean, look, I'm a hypocrite here because I've, I've been very critical of her on Twitter, but at the same time.
0: She's going to be one of your secret guest stars every episode. I hope so, man.
1: But I'd love to sit down with her. Look, just sit around a table with someone like her, someone like Alex Gladstein, maybe a Troy Cross, and mm. you know, just educate her and say, look, this is, we understand your fears. Yeah. We understand what your concerns are with this. But look at what like if you if you try and stop Bitcoin working, which by the way, you will never stop it. But if you your attempts, what you're trying to stop is look at this project in Africa, look at this project mm-hmm. in Texas, look at this project in El Salvador, look at this project in the UK, look at this project in Indonesia. This is everywhere and it's improving people's lives. And why why are you trying to stop that? What is your what what is what is it you're trying to fucking achieve here? Yeah. But you need to be able to have those conversations and you need to meet them where they are. Not have two people yelling at each other, yeah. not Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren yelling at each other. Yeah. It just
0: doesn't work. So I, I've and, I, and I, it's funny because I being on this show and in general, I do want to bring a message of like hope for for Bitcoin and on Bitcoin. But I've heard you say this a lot about Elizabeth Warren recently, and you know she's one of my senators in, in Massachusetts. Um, she was in there before I was, gosh, probably able to vote. Um, she's been in there a while now. But one of the things I will say that I wanted to, to bring up to you is that. You know, to presuppose, okay, get at them at the table and talk. And again, I'm, you know, registered Democrat, like vote in Democratic Party. I don't think I've ever voted for a Republican. Um, no, you know what? No, no, I didn't. Um, but you're not saying you wouldn't. No, no, I'm not I'm not saying I wouldn't. And also at this point, it's hard for me to figure out who I would vote for if I would going forward. That's that's kind of where I'm at with the the DNC is so broken. Yeah. So I I don't like anyone from there and anyone that that could aspire to be a rising star in politics. They're two or three months into the campaign. You see them starting to change already because the message has been written. So that would be my point on Elizabeth Warren. You mentioned like, oh, we should educate their staffers that's presupposing that they are open to begin with and they they already, they already have their message delivered to them. Like I've reached out to a few congressmen and senators in Massachusetts and they have all, it's almost copy-paste, the response I get. And it will be, I've actually had back and forth with their staffers through email um, I, with my congressmen a few different times on a few different things and their staffers have written to me and their staffers are really great. Like you really feel like you're connecting with a person, the director of research, whoever, um, and it's usually the same it starts off positive because they want to make you feel you're heard. So what they say is crypto is this revolutionizing technology. It's clearly here. It's okay. So they're at least acknowledging that crypto is something that's legit and they're not like ban crypto now. Okay. But then they get into Bitcoin uses more energy than like, you know, half of the world, you know, whatever. Like like Norway, Sweden, whatever, the copy paste the same thing. And they're like also, uh, so it's energy use and money laundering. That's still the and they say crypto. Uh, I specifically wrote about Bitcoin, saying I'd love to. And I and I sent him a couple of, sent these folks a couple of articles, connected them to uh, Satoshi Action Fund, um, other for, like uh, Bitcoin Policy Institute, others like legit people who I'm like they're doing legit research. It's not just like Bitcoin to the moon or you know whatever. It's like these are legit like research folks. You should check them out. Yeah, stop um, listening to DeFreeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So they've already. Um, Decided what they're going to think on it, and I don't think there's any way of um, having that conversation. And I say that as a progressive who voted for a lot of these people, so I I don't I don't know what the answer is there, and I think the free market will over the next couple of years. You you'll probably see them shift. That'll be my expectation. You'll see them shift once enough people or constituents start to see uh, what what this is, and when it when it gets here, I don't know what the timeline is for that, but. Um, well, that's
1: why someone like Jason Meyer is so important, and what he's I doing agree. is so important. Yeah, is get that education out there. Yeah, we've done a lot of work out there appealing to people who are conservatives or libertarians. Yeah. They get it, generally get it. Not yeah. everyone, but they, you know, there's a broad understanding of what this means, yeah. and it aligns nicely, certainly with American conservatives. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it's less so in the UK because yeah. there's a different mindset. Uh, the UK conservatives are more just fiscally conservative. Yeah. They're not so much freedom yeah. conservatives. Yeah. But at the same time, what we need is conservatives to, you know, conservative senators across the aisle, mm-hmm. conservative people to put their hand out to their yeah. uh, progressive friends and say, look, let's just talk about this one. Yeah. And I think it's just one thing we can all align on and say the incentives of this benefit
0: everybody. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like this is a win, 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 win for everybody.
0: Yeah, and it it affects and wins for everyone in different ways. Yeah. That's the cool part. So as a progressive, uh, a United States progressive, it can appeal to you in blank way. As like uh, an African nonprofit worker, it'll appeal to you in this way. In China, it will appeal to you. So each way, there's a different story because it is, I remember I was talking to my wife about it like early on and she's like, if it's just, like if it's just money, that's a neutral thing. Like it's 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 money, right? So why is it? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of reasons. It's politicized, and it, for for good and bad reasons. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'd love to see it. I think Jun alluded to this last night. I'd love to see it as boring old money. Yeah, like that. That would be really cool if in my lifetime we could see that. Um, that's my hope. And well, that this politics stuff of the past will be like that was crazy. Well, ordinals are making it less boring, but we don't need to really get into it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't have a say on that. I don't. I don't know.
1: So I haven't really done an intro for you because not, not everyone listening will know who you are. Do yeah. you want to just give a no. bit of your background, talk about the work you do?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Trey. I'm um, currently a, a director in a nonprofit focused on youth workforce development. And so my undergrad about 10 years ago, I um, was a sociology undergrad and still really passionate about sociology, social theory. Not to go too much into it, but I was really trained up and studied uh, Marxism and was really, really... Uh, I considered going to the new school here in New York City. I was very... Um, if you say, "Oh, who who's going to end up in Bitcoin?" I don't, you know, that that concept, right? Of um, definitely into Marxism, social theory. Um, it just you a commie? No, not anymore. Um, and even then, it was more yeah. like social theory. Like I really yeah. enjoyed reading radical ideas of a lot of like um, new age philosophers, leftist philosophers, um, things like that. And so that was like sociology, social theory. And then I got into nonprofits in 2015, actually working with um, young people with disabilities. So that was my first. And I think my driving thing in life has been, um, and I, I went to a Christian college as well, no longer a Christian, but I think the one thing that, that kept with me is, um, you know, in Christianity is kind of like Jesus fighting social justice. And that's the one thing that definitely stuck with me always is like, you know, fighting for um, those that have less, just social justice and everything. So working with people with disabilities, that got me into nonprofits. And that's one of the largest minority groups, if you will, in this country that doesn't have a lot of rights Um, and and started working with them, which was really, really cool. And since then I've been really passionate about working with young adults and leading programs that help young adults get ahead, find economic self-sufficiency, especially low-income young adults, and just navigate this world. Um, and I myself, I'm 30, I'm a millennial, um, but this younger generation faces even different and, and new challenges. So that's where I found myself now, is um, just really passionate about workforce development, young adults, having them to get into career pathways and get into things. And I, and I think Bitcoin can be a part of that. Um, navigating that in my current role and in Massachusetts in general, is we're still really early. This show is brought to you by Wasabi,
1: who I will now be using to make sure I keep all my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi 2.0 makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join like in Wasabi 1, this is all done automatically. So all you need to do is receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can send privately. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, something, you know, I'm always moaning on about. Now, you also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't need to leak your IP address, and there is no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I'm taking a lot more seriously, and Wasabi 2 makes this so much easier. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up, we have Fortress. Now, 4% of all Bitcoin transactions on an MOM basis go through Fortress, which equates to $7.7 billion since their inception in 2017, of which $3.6 billion happened last year, 2022, last year alone. Now, Bitcoin is more than just a holding asset. We see large organizations already using it in their day-to-day operations. And if you want to do this, you do not need to overhaul your system. You simply need to integrate Fortress to handle all your Bitcoin treasury operations. If you want to find out more about this, please head over to Fortress.com, which is F-O-R-T-R-I-S.com. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But I'm not selling a Bitcoin right now, are you? I hope you're not. Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've also set up a DCA with twice-monthly Bitcoin buys, And I've been stacking sats all through this bear market. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did... All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Well, you wrote this article, Bitcoin creates hope for a generation found hopeless. Yeah. And um, we'll share that in the show notes so people can go read it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, What is it? What is it you're noticing then amongst young people? What is this like hopelessness you're seeing? Like I see it and I have two kids as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think in general, um, it's kind of, I mean, definitely COVID was a big thing. So um, I've been in my current role for like, four, four and a half years now. And a lot of my staff go into schools um, and work with students. So during COVID, we were all virtual. And I think it's one of those things, it's not a cognizant, oh, youth are outright coming and speaking up about what's troubling. They're, they're, they're young people, they're teenagers. But what we're seeing is just like COVID had such a big effect on, on school age kids all over the world, but in the United States as well. Um, and I think what you're seeing is just the biggest and what society is doing. I think they're, they're, they're holding up incredibly well given what they've been through. And especially like some of these young adults we work with, they are 15, 16, and they're working, you know, jobs until nine o'clock at night, also providing for their families because they're immigrant family or their their parents might be undocumented, whatever. Um, So there's these kids that are like carrying their communities and really um, doing cool stuff. And societies like, what was that recent Wall Street, uh, Wall Street, Journal article that was saying, okay, it's it's millennials and a younger generation buying too much. That's why inflation keeps going oh, up. Oh, right? yeah.
1: So it's even. What the fuck was that all about? Yeah,
0: it's petty stuff like that, but it's also like Greta Thunberg saying, the world is burning. Like, we have to do something today. So I think that overwhelming, unconscious pressure on. They did it to millennials uh, with my time, um, and they're doing it to Gen Z now, um, just saying, like, you guys, you guys are going to pay you know, social security and probably not get any back. You guys need to fix the planet because the older people don't care about it. And that's also presupposing that if you're older, you can't change your ways or whatever the case may be. So it's basically like, what are you guys gonna do about it? And a lot of times it's spun in this message of hope, but really it's overwhelmingly um, just suffocating, I think to young people. And so for them to actually thrive in this world, um, it's really challenging. Um, and obviously I, from this article, I think one of the ways is is Bitcoin and the whole ethos of it, not just the, the technology, but.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's other pressures on kids these days. Two pressures that really stand out to me, um, parents aren't about as much. Like mm. I'm conscious myself as a parent, the amount I've worked, yeah. the amount I've focused on a career, ahead yeah. of, uh, you know, ahead of spending time with my children, I'm away for a week, two weeks at a time. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm conscious of that. and uh, and I'm fortunate to have the job I have, but some people out of, like, they've got no choice. They have to work one, two jobs, both yeah. parents have to work. They just don't have the time to parent. Yeah. And parenting has been kind of pushed to media. Mm-hmm. And we've got these addictive social media platforms yeah. that are, well, God knows what they're doing to their brains, but I think there's this unrealistic uh, career life uh, goals that it's putting in front of them because yeah. when I grew up, so when I was, f- the internet was about I was about fourteen when mm-hmm. it came around. So, you know, you went to school, and you knew you were going to pick a particular vocation, and you would go to university, and you work hard, and you get a job. Yeah. Now, with the internet, you have young people seeing other young people mm. become fabulously rich yeah. by doing things on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, and th- and all they're seeing is success stories. Yeah. It might be a 16 year old playing for Manchester United. It might be some young girl who dances on TikTok, has a hundred million followers. And you see articles that live in these big mansions Mm. or youngsters driving cars. Like that's what they see and and that's what they aspire to. And I think a lot of them are missing the reality. Actually, no, life's just really hard. Like none of you are gonna do that. Like a, a, a tiny fraction, most of you are gonna have to work hard at school and then get a job. Yeah. And then in, you can throw in another layer of pressure in this. It's like a lot of the jobs that they're perhaps preparing for are not even going to fucking
0: exist. Yeah. That's a whole scary part too. And, you know, working in workforce development, that's kind of one of your jobs is to try to figure out what what is that going to look like in five, 10 years? Because a lot of the, the young people we we'll work with are passionate about working with or running, you know, in my director role, a lot of this is my staff doing these things. And I try to just support funding and, ha- and have conversations with people about why they should care about this or why they should invest in these young people. So we're projecting out five, 10 years, right? So what are, what are those jobs we can help them get into now that can be that trajectory? Um, and, and that's the challenging part. And not only that, I think really I get passionate and upset about is like, we can make things a hell of a lot easier on young people. And I'll, I'll say just to the US context, but it, it applies worldwide. Um, we can make things a lot easier for young people, whether you talk about like outrageous costs of higher education and no, I don't think the only answer is debt cancellation, right? Because then what does that do to continuing payments? That's a whole nother topic, but um, college is too expensive. Training programs might be too expensive. Um, Employers, they might get a job, but then we've seen layoffs this year. So we could be heading for a recession, could be more serious or not, we don't know. Um, so they're going into these companies and these organizations if they are lucky to get a job and they just, we're not making things easy for them. When, and it, things shouldn't be easy. Uh, let me let me put it that way. And these young people, I think the biggest misconception is, oh, they're lazy and they just don't wanna work. No, the young people we work with, they're like super excited to, to get out there and ex- they're young, they're excited about life. They're, they really are just like um, viewing the world that way, even though some of us that are a bit older and maybe it's my millennial angst too is like, man, this world's kind of hard sometimes. Like, you know, and, and us Bitcoiners, um, there's hope, but there's also a message of like, oh man, all of these guys, they're the bad guys and no one knows it, but yeah. us type thing. Um, and that's a little bit extreme, but it's partly real. And I think a lot of these things, especially politicians um, in action, I don't think they care at all um, about, about a lot of people, but about this younger generation coming up. Um, so because we have to to- they only care about themselves. They only care about themselves, but I think also sometimes it's not even uh, awareness. I think, um, yeah, it's tough when you don't have term limits. Um, you, you you come in and that, that becomes your career. And so you're focused on getting book deals and speaking, not necessarily on, all right, I got five years.
1: To... What can I do for my constituents?
0: Yes, that is few and far between. And I will say there are probably many out there, um, but I think you've mentioned this before too. Um, some people get co-opted or you get into it and then you get comfortable and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, where was that? Fighting spirit, where, where did that go? AOC. Right. Like, I, I know she isn't popular with a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people listening,
1: we were like, what the fuck you want about? When AOC first came through, she was a ray of hope. Yeah. I mean, she might have been completely wrong on some issues. Sure. But she, she she had a fight in her. Yeah. And now she's just been co-opted into the same bullshit.
0: I Yeah, I think it's tough. I think some of it is, okay, you want to try to get... Um, you know, inspire hope and change in people. So you have to be a bit bombastic at times. And what I do like about her is that there aren't many people in Congress, like even if you just follow her on Instagram, she shows you what a day in the life of a, so regardless of what you think of her politics, she shows you what a day in the life of a congresswoman looks like, which is kind of cool. Like people aren't transparent about what it actually is, but then yeah, I'll see some, some talks or some interviews or some like the, the panel, the house panel, whatever, where they're just like, this is my moment. This is my 30 seconds to blast this guy or this tech CEO, be, and I'm like, what did that do for your constituents? What did that do for this country? What did that do for young people? Nothing, but I get it. And a lot of us who would be in the same position, would we do any different? I'm not sure because that machine is terribly grinding, uh, the political machine that yeah. these people fall into.
1: I think I think there's a few pillars of this mm. that are causing problems for kids. I think politicians, Yeah. I absolutely do. The financial system in a number of ways has, Damage kids in that there's no money for kids anymore. No. When I grew up, we used to have these things called youth clubs. Mm. Do you have youth clubs for you? Or have yeah. they gone by then? Yeah, I never really went to a youth club. but they, So they were a thing and it would just be Friday night, Thursday night, whatever, you go along, you play pool, play football, yeah. a group of people hang out. They all eventually got closed mm. and then football playing fields went. Yeah, There's just never any money for kids. There's a crash in the economy and the government suddenly needs 40 billion, that money appears. Right. Can you imagine they suddenly found forty billion for kids? Yeah. How many how many playing fields, parks, you, like how many things you fund? They never find that money. They yeah. always find it for the things they need. Yeah. So I think the financial system hasn't helped. I think the social media companies are drug dealers. Yeah, and I, I would like, agree with that. As somebody who is a previous addict and has definitely been addicted to Twitter, yeah. and, you know it is it is fentanyl to kids. Yeah, um, I I think. I also think the education system hasn't evolved no. for life. I mean, there's a really great TED talk. I think the guy sadly died. He was a teacher, and he talked about this kid who liked to dance, mm-hmm. and everyone missed it. And he said, he said, these kids now, you know, we have the internet now, and these kids now, the jobs, the things he's teaching them now, they won't even need to learn in the future. Like Rich Roll, like I always steal this line. He said to me, he said, the problem with schooling is we we. Give these kids a supercomputer in their pocket, and then we teach them to go and memorize facts. Yeah, it's fucking pointless. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole of uh, the whole education system needs a complete rethink. Yeah, we need to create people, not mini computers, who can remember things.
0: Yeah, and I think too, you talk a lot about this uh, a lot on your show, and I think your show obviously talks about Bitcoin, and I think the directions you went ahead is expand that too. But you talk a lot about too, and for your European listeners and others, even in the US, like how different the US is in that we have states and we have the federal government. So yep. you talk education, that's a—that's very, I mean, the federal government, yes, but th- that's dictated at the state level. So Massachusetts is gonna look very different than Virginia, than Texas, than California, whatever. Um, and, and each city as well, in each town, they have their school board. They have a lot of control. So as with anything in politics, if of what remnant of hope you do believe, the local level impacts a lot. So in whatever ways, Bitcoiners can get involved in a local level or people that care about this stuff, not in a way of going to town hall and being like Bitcoin just for like a joke, like, you know, funny moment. Um, That's really where it's happening. And especially school boards. So we've seen some schools do some cool and exciting things. Like, for instance, um, instead of just having a rigid school schedule where you have six or seven like periods in a day where they go through the same classes, it's like freeing up a couple of those so they can go and do. An internship outside of the school, or they can. So our big thing is we try to get students out into the community as much as possible, right. uh, so they can interact with real companies, so they can figure out, let me try this out. Oh, I thought I liked that, I don't like that. Let me try this out, and just give them something that's outside. And also, teachers aren't their job isn't to. Their job is to teach and follow the curriculum, and a lot of them, unfortunately, I think, they act as social workers sometimes. But their job also isn't to prepare them for the world of work or the economy, you know, in five years, right? That's just not, it's not because they don't care because teachers really do care. Um, it, it's that that's not their focus. So there's not a real focus on bridging that divide between school and what comes after that. Um, and some people are better at figuring it out than others. And I think, you know, I I definitely am a firm believer in like let them experiment and fail. Um, and some students are going to thrive in that and some aren't. So there's always going to be risk associated. There's never going to be because we don't want to create an environment where we lay out the path of every person, you know, through age 30 and say, okay, that, that's your trajectory. Now you'll be set. Like there's got to be some, some try and fail. Yeah. Um, and what about the,
1: some problem solving? Right. What right. about teaching problem solving? What about teaching philosophy? Yeah. What about teaching? Like my daughter's at a stage now with her math. Like every parent will know this. She's doing stuff I do not use in life anymore. Yeah, yeah. No. And you know, there's some kids who are great at math and they, they're going to do math all the way through to 18. They might do further math. Yeah. They might do study math at university. Great. That, that is a math kid yeah. who's going to take that into a job and uh, where they maybe be an economist or an engineer where well, that's super useful. My daughter, I know her. She isn't going to do shit with this mm. math, right? She's learned everything she needs to know. With Sorry her. if she's listening. Um, English, I get it. English all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Great English skills, great writing skills, yeah, great comprehension skills, that's going to be useful. Yeah. Um, science, I mean, you get past a certain point again with science, like, what does she need that for? Yeah. She's a creative person. Yeah. She should be spending a lot more of her time doing creative subjects, mm-hmm. but all of this is a rigid structure, like you said. Yeah. I wish it would. They would free them up. I wish they would do problem solving. I wish they would do finance. I wish they would do economics. Yeah. I wish they would do more of life skills, yeah. because those are the skills that will transcend any uh, uh, like technical uh, uh, evolutionary changes that like kill off large parts of the job system. Yeah, you know they they will be useful life skills, but we don't do it. Yeah, we just create robots who compete on memorizing facts. And it's fucking dumb.
0: Yeah, I, I mean. I do think it's getting better in that regard, but I do think also we need to be real about what is school, like school for a lot of people, let's say a lot of students that come from maybe like hard households or just in general is a a place of hopefully stability. They can go during the day that the government in the U.S. pays for, their parents can go to work. Um, And a lot of times like I don't remember anything from my high school days, barely college. But what I do remember From college, I remember those professors that had a profound impact on me and introduced me to topics and subjects that I researched. Similar to, like, okay, this person had a profound Bitcoin in me or profound impact on me with Bitcoin. Same thing with high school or elementary school. It's you remember people and how they made you feel. So I think if we're real about education, a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old isn't gonna know what they wanna do for the rest of their lives. I am a firm believer that you can always evolve. I mean, as you did with this podcast, right? Starting it like a few years ago, you were doing one thing. Okay, pivot, something happens. I think that's real. So I think we just, again, like you said, teach students critical thinking, adaptability, doesn't really matter the other subjects. You need to make sure they can read, right? You know, do those kind of things. But I think if we're being real, that's what education should be about. Um, And unfortunately, I think sometimes it comes down to individual, teachers and people that, well, is that yeah. the type of person they are or not? But the structure isn't set up for that now.
1: But you need them better teachers. You need to get better, brighter, more interesting teachers in there. And, yeah. and as, as long it's a teacher
0: you... shortage and staffing. Because you they know, don't pay uh, yeah. them shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. They don't pay them shit. And in the US there's always, um, there's a whole nother show we could have about the impacts of like COVID and just the, the societal angst everyone feels, but there's always, especially you guys in the UK and in Europe, even, even more so, but uh, a lot more teacher strikes happening. In the U.S., which again we've got that in the U.K. right now, yeah, for sure. And I mean, healthcare is a whole other thing too. It's kind of similar in a way, um, and definitely like I, I am definitely you know kind of you know registered Democrat, like proud of those that are striking, unionizing when need be, and those kind of things. And first of all, I could never understand because I'm not in that in that position. Um, but but that's a reality, and there's not enough teachers in the system anyway. So a lot of them feel like they're used and abused. How well of a teacher do you think they're going to be if they feel like that?
1: Yeah, and uh, Louis C.K. does a brilliant um, does a brilliant uh, piece on teachers, and he talks about like they're the shittiest. Like he's Louis C.K., so he's making yeah, a joke. Yeah. He's like, these are the shittiest people because these people they get paid shit, and it doesn't matter how good a job they do. There's no career progression. Yeah, yeah, like, and nobody says thanks. Yeah, and I, the point I think he's he's trying to make is is that. Well, I, I tell you what, let, let me explain it differently. Something that came up uh, recently that stuck with me, I've talked about, about, about it on the show a bit, this interview I did with Dan Tubb, and we just looked at the, the, the government's budget mm. from the Office of Budget Responsibility. Yeah. 71- oh, this was the
0: UK show? Yeah. Got, right? yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yep. $71 billion is spent on education. Mm. $120 billion is spent servicing the interest of debt. Yeah. Not paying anything off, just serves an interest in debt. Again. And the the debt still
0: exists. That's just the interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: The fuckos can build up this debt that has no consequence to them, but has a consequence to everybody else. Mm. Imagine that 120 billion went into education. Imagine the education budget suddenly went from 70 billion to 190 billion. Right. You could double the salaries of teachers. Right. You will not have a teacher shortage. Yeah. You would be able to invest in getting good people into teaching. Yeah. People who are smart, experienced who can give these kids like uh, a really fucking solid education, Mm. but you're not gonna find these people while you pay them shit.
0: Yeah. And also the way we think of, and I say this as a progressive, as I'm not necessarily like a big government person, but I will say one of the things I've seen time and time again, it's complicated, Um, It's funny. I was like driving around with my wife last week and I was talking about like this, this city where I'm at and uh, I I live in Salem, Massachusetts. People know Salem. Yeah, The Witch Trials, that kind of thing. Great, great city, love the community. Uh, But there's a couple of things they'll put up like some you know, mural or sculpture, let's use that as an example, but then there's potholes all over the road. It's like, why don't you do what a city should do and fix the roads and leave the other stuff to like the entrepreneurs? So that's kind of how I feel about US government as well. There's too many things the government is, you know, paying high taxes for. And that's also something I like to tell my, you know, um, progressive, more socialist friends is they say, tax the rich and it's like, You already are. But you guys, guys, yes, you already are, but also even if you do that, you guys also don't trust the government. You realize if we tax the rich, sure, it's less for them, but then they give it to the government that you guys say you hate anyway. So that, even if you think that there should be more, you know, uh, spread of the wealth and things like that through taxation, I don't trust that the hands those are going into, or what if Donald Trump's president, right? Let's say that their worst fear, right? Okay, the money's going to him. You guys do realize if we tax the rich, they're going to your enemy or even whoever's in in the White House or whatever. And obviously that's not how it works. There's a lot of different factions, but the government gets a lot of money. And I've seen this in, in my career, also just in this country in general, what happened during COVID stimulus, obviously, right? So the government got a flush of money. They threw that money out into communities. So like you said, there was actually more money and is for a lot of these projects. Have we seen things change on the ground? Not necessarily because they're like, oh, here's all this money um you have two years to spend it you can't spend it on x y and z or you can't staff up to actually address those things or you can't hire more teachers but here's a stimulus for you know x y z so it's just the complete mismanagement when there is you know even if especially bitcoiners say oh the government shouldn't have more money i agree with that but even when they do they still mess it up so that's the biggest thing
1: this show is brought to you by leaden from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. With everything that happened last year in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach, as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They're also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, ledon is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledon.io which is ledn.io. Next up, we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way for you to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time for you to take your security a bit more seriously, because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger customer since early 2017. I'm still using the same Nano S I bought then, and I've got a few more of their products. I absolutely love everything they do. Ledger also have a very new product coming. It's called Stacks. It's going to be dropping in the summer. I've already pre-ordered mine. Now, the pre-order is sold out, but there is a wait list, so go and get on that while you can. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot l e d ger.com that is shop.ledger.com next up we have bit casino established in 2013 bit casino was the first licensed bitcoin casino trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide not only do they have cutting edge security but they also have fast withdrawals and vip experiences that money can't buy with over 2800 games and tournaments to compete against each other bit casino is the best online casino for bitcoiners and with 24-7 live chat support, you can get all the help you require. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is b i t c a s i m oio And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have our new sponsor, Iris Energy. Now, as you've probably noticed, we have been increasingly covering Bitcoin mining on the show. And as the team at Iris Energy share mine and Danny's values they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did and for you, our listeners. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner who has used 100% renewable energies since inception. Iris Energy targets markets with low-cost excess renewable energy, and they build and operate their own proprietary data centers. And the team is led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across infrastructure, renewables, and digital assets. In fact, Iris Energy's Nasdaq IPO was the only Bitcoin mining IPO to be led by top tier investment banks, including JP Morgan and Citi. Now, Iris Energy know that Bitcoin mining can be done sustainably, supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem as well as the energy transition. Iris Energy is the leading 100% renewable energy miner. And if you want to find out more about them, then please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Or look up their ticker, I R E N on Nasdaq. It, wasn't it seventy uh, percent of taxation comes from the top ten percent? I can remember. Uh, yeah, I think we it's top ten
0: some... percent. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. if you even, said one percent, I'd be like, no, it, but ten percent that makes sense. It might even be the one percent. And I know it's a vast majority. Even if comes... it was five percent, I I would understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and so look, you can tax these people more, but the yeah. truth is, is that you, Do hit you want break to hear it, a cool stat. Go. So Massachusetts. Um, I forget that we had tax excess. This is the first time that I actually got a reimbursement. What? On tax. We had a tax excess of about $3 billion at the state level, as in like they collected $3 billion more than they had budgeted. Like, so they, they issue out a budget that came in and we actually have a law. So Massachusetts is definitely liberal and progressive, but the one cool thing where I'm like, oh, this was the law, take, it was a law from the eighties that said, if it's X percentage over what the, we actually budgeted for, we give it back. So you've got a check. Yeah pretty sizable check. And I don't, you know, I work in nonprofits. I don't have a, you know, it's it's not like a crazy income. And uh, we got a decent sized check for just a tax refund, which I thought was cool, but also showed why the hell are you taxing that much? If you get it and the government at least has a law where luckily, I think if this were other states, we'd probably be in a trickier situation where they're like, cool, let's just use this for whatever. But Massachusetts is actually a law that says we have to give it back if it's over a certain amount, which That's- I think is a cool, at least a little like, the, the switch was flipped and we have to give it back. So I'm like, at least that was a cool practice. So Massachusetts has some old school, like practical, there's still, you know, we had a Republican governor um, the past two years, Charlie Baker. Uh, he was the most popular governor in the country. Um, but he was a little more practical. Wasn't very fringy um, and it was very weird in a place like Massachusetts. So we do have a weird mix of people in Massachusetts. It's not as Elizabeth Warren as one might think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you can text people only so much. There's becomes a breaking point where yeah. people will just leave a country. Did you find it? I can't find yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's 10 It was around there. But, but I always think it's the wrong answer. Yeah. I think the answer is the government has to spend less. Yeah. And How do we do that? How do we get the government to spend less? You know, you mentioned term limits. I think there should be uh, term limits linked to budget responsibility. Yeah, I think you've. I think I personally think any government which uh, spends like hits the point where they spend more than they're bringing in, that should trigger an election. Yeah, and the and the electorate get to decide. Yeah, you know, they get to sell why they're going to run a deficit, mm. and the electorate get to decide. Yeah, because that will flip the incentives rather than every government saying. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna give you this. No, we're gonna give you this and yeah. spend more and more. You have you know another party coming back and saying, "No, we're gonna cut spend here." Yeah, and this is why you should vote for us because we're gonna work for you. The incentives are all fucking screwed.
0: Yeah, and I'm I, I think Bitcoiners we talk a lot about like slippery slope stuff, and I think that's one of the things that you know whether it's CBDCs, whether it's deficit stuff like that. When you talk to more like normal people. You know, you see a gradual, Joseph was talking about like gradual growth of things last night, right? You also see a gradual downfall. So it's never a overnight you you get this society, sometimes societal collapse overnight, right? Um, but at least in the United States, it's this gradual chipping away. So part of me is like, we're, we're really, really far down this whole incentive model where the new thing is like as much debt as possible, um, CBDCs, the political structure as it is. Um, It's crazy to think, I think it was what, the early nineties with Bill Clinton, uh, Mm -hmm. we didn't have a deficit. I I think, I'm trying to think the last time the US did not actually have a deficit when now the deficit is the highest it's ever been. So it's not this- And it's never going away. Yeah, that's the thing. So I'm like, I don't think it's ever going away Um, and most people don't care about it. But in thinking about young people, I don't know what that's gonna look like in 50 years, um, when you think about the ramifications of what this is and all the people that have been deciding that, they'll be dead and gone.
1: Yeah, home ownership will be an issue. Social security is. will be an issue. Well, yeah. all these things will be an issue. Yeah. The, the boomers took it all. Yeah. Maybe my gen, what am I? I'm a, what generation? I'm not a boomer. I'm just below that by a couple of years. Gen X? X. Yeah, something like that, I don't know. Last time yeah. the US had a surplus 70s, was 80s. 2001.
0: Okay, two thousand. yeah, yeah, that's wild. Is that Clinton or is that Bush? Don't know. Was that Bush? I That's think? Bush. Yeah, because it was nine eleven.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, God. Here in New York, The first time I came to New York was the year after nine eleven. Oh, really? Yeah, it really stuck with me because uh, they were still clearing the site. Yeah. And there was still kind of like, I don't want to say fire, but like smoky stuff yeah. coming up, and you saw the big trucks yeah. coming out, bringing things out. And I remember, um, I remember standing in a uh, queue getting a slice of pizza and it was talking to this guy. And he started, I was like, were you you here? I was in in the city, I was down near where it happened. And as he started to tell the story, his arm started to shake. I was like, you all right, dude? It's like, yeah, it's just fucking the worst day ever.
0: Yeah. Um, Have you heard um, Corey's story on that from Swan? No. So I listened to his uh, interview with Natalie um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he was here um, during 9-11. He was on his way down, he was saying it was like before he went to Chicago and Corey can correct this or um, reach out, but uh, he, he was here uh, during 9-11 um, and he was uptown and he was gonna head back down uh, and he was planning on it, but he saw like, okay, I'm in tower two, tower one was hit this, so he's given details. And I was like, oh my gosh, like he, he, was, he was here for it and then wow. gave his side of the story, which is which is crazy.
1: Have, have you found or have you noticed because I have, and it's only anecdotal evidence, but yeah. I've been coming to the U.S. since then. That 2002 yeah. was the first time, been here like 80 times. Uh, I used to spend most of my time on the coast, yeah. LA, SF, and here. Mm. And I've gradually been starting to go to places like Nashville and Texas. Yeah. I've noticed the decline mainly in New York and mm. in uh, California. Yeah. I've seen like visual decline in those cities. San Francisco particularly is, I yeah. still can't understand how they've let that city yeah. collapse into what it is. But I'm seeing it he- now here in New York. Yeah. New York, when I first came was, was it was, I don't know, it was exciting. Yeah. But over the last five years, I f- I felt a real decline. Yeah. I feel a little bit less safe in this city. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel a little bit less excited. I feel like, I don't know, it's just, I feel like they've suffered the most. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, Nashville and Austin are ascending. Yeah. I, so
0: yeah, and I hear and, a lot of,
1: I'm asking that as a progressive, it's like, oh, a, for sure, for sure. Know, it's yeah. a leading question. No,
0: and I'm, and I'm glad you asked it too. Cause I, I hear a lot of Bitcoiners, you know, constantly dump on the coast and things like that. And I do get it. And I've, first of all, I've never been to San Francisco. I've been to Seattle. I've been to like San Diego area. San Diego is one of my favorite cities, beautiful out there. Um, and then, um, New York. So the one thing, and you would have more knowledge of this just going back more. um, And I definitely think there's been a decline for sure. And COVID really, really escalated that. And I think any progressive who refutes that is crazy. Um, There definitely has been. But I think um, also I would push back and say some of these other utopias that Bitcoiners talk about, especially, you know, Texas, Tennessee, utopias for who? Um, because there are a lot of folks that live in those communities. If they're not as wealthy, if they're people of color, if they're trans, if they're gay, Um, those states have tried to do a number on some marginalized communities. And again, you know, people can comment and stuff and I'm not gonna, you know, I don't go on Twitter and fight with people. It's just, you know, exhausting. Um, You can look up data on that. I'm not gonna have data battles on that. Um, But I do agree. I, I think it's happening on both sides, just as New York, Uh, problems have been politicized, right? Like if we actually got people in a room together and was like, how are we gonna figure out drug abuse and homelessness in New York City? Rather than like, what is the proper Democrat response to that? What is the proper conservators? Because Democrat response, and I've had this in my own community. Uh, We had a bit of an issue with some homeless encampments creeping up to a really old, historic, beautiful part of, of the city. Uh, some people were like, very reasonably so, were like, there's kids and, you know, Salem's a big tourist town as well. So there are kids and families walking around. They see an encampment in front of old town hall. Um, you know, what are we gonna do about that? Some people were like, sounds like you're more care, to care about the photo op than you do about these homeless people. That's a classic yeah. left response. On the right, they'll be like, oh, scum of the earth, what are they doing out here? Go get a job. Those are the two responses rather than just like, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes that aren't on Twitter they are actually sitting in a room, nonprofits, some government officials trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but I, I definitely would say, I mean, just walking around here today, right? You, you see it, um, right? By Washington Square Park, you, you see it. Um, now, is it as bad as 70s, 80s? Probably not. Um, I don't know. I wasn't around then, but um, I would say it's not as... New York is still New York. Like when I, whenever I come to New York, I'm like, this place is great. Like, I do love it. But you do see some of the stuff that for me, I'm more like, this is sad. We should do something about it. That's usually one of my thoughts. Take a trip to San Francisco. Yeah. Just see it with your own eyes Yeah, because- I know that's probably, if I had to just, uh, upon trying to read a lot and seeing different things, I would say that's probably the worst. You've got, you've got to see it to, to believe
1: yeah. this yeah. is a major city. And what a city, like uh, the first, well, it wasn't the first progressive
0: openly gay city really. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of them, yeah. for sure, yeah. And, you know. Late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. yeah,
1: and like a beautiful city. I mean, I absolutely love, I, f- I remember the first time I went when I drove in. uh drove you know across when to that God. was? That was, that was for my 30th birthday. So mm. for my 30th birthday, we went to LA, we drove the coast up, mm. so that was 14 years ago. Yeah. And, and I just thought, this is a fucking cool place. Yeah, And you go there now and you're like, I cannot believe the center of the city has collapsed to what yeah. it has been. Yeah, I mean, you cannot, you cannot go down a street without seeing homeless people. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't even, I mean, it was unbelievable. You saw it, it for the first
0: time. totally blew my mind. Like you hear how bad it is, but we went for a drive through the Tenderloin
1: and there's like two kilometers, would you say, of just like yeah. pure encampments. Mm-hmm. And, for, like Mad Max. Like you can almost yeah. not walk on the pavement mm-hmm. or the sidewalk because it's just full. Yeah. It's, it's completely fucked. Yeah. And like something, something should be able to be done. Michael Schellenberger talked about this. I mean, he wrote, he's written mm-hmm. a very really yeah, good book with San Francisco. Yeah. Um, he's talked about this and mainly solving the drug problem. Yeah. But that, you know, we, we, we seem to live in the richest times, yeah. but for some people we're living in the, the we, absolute poorest times. We live in
0: the time of the most excess and capital. Ever, and so that's the thing. And there's not good enough responses. And again, there's fringe responses. A lot of people in these positions are not intelligent, um, actually trying to figure out these problems. And I think that that's the biggest thing because we can address it. It won't be addressed overnight. It won't be addressed through Bitcoin, by the way. It's not Bitcoin's not going to you know cure cancer. It's not going to solve inequality. And I think most Bitcoiners are coming out and saying that at this point, uh, which is good. Because it's going to take a lot more than more than just that. But again, I think it's because we've politicized everything. Problems aren't problems anymore. They're for the left, what is their approach? For the right, what is their approach? And it's because the political system is broken. And obviously, most of the listeners and we know it's also the the financial system is completely broken and media is broken. Yes, all, all yes. three. And I would say that's kind of political. Um yeah, of media is, is. I kind of tie that into policies, but for sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: just circling back. So. We should. We should at least end Talking on, on this. Yeah. Talking about the Bitcoin bringing hope to mm-hmm. Gen Z. Can you outline what it is you think Bitcoin can do there? Because yeah, I've got two kids. Yeah, and if I try to think about how Bitcoin can help them, well, firstly, I mean, look, it's given me a chance to save money for their future. My yeah. kids will probably be Same. able to get a house because mm-hmm. I hold Bitcoin. But that's that's an economic thing. The only other thing I can think is hope is that. Bitcoin. It's the tangential subjects to Bitcoin mm-hmm. that have, I've opened yeah. my eyes to that have made me parent them in a different way. Yeah, teach them about different parts of life. Yeah, that's all I can. That's 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 the only way I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's how I view it too. It's kind of like Bitcoin is that entry point, and then it creates the outline. And you know, I think a lot of this is in huge. I actually reached out to Troy, and I was like, "Dude, I got I got to thank you for everything you said on Bitcoin, environment, progressivism." Even though he focuses mostly on environment stuff. Um, just that was a huge inspiration for even going about and pursuing getting my thoughts out there on on stuff like this. Um, and Jason the same way and, and so many others, Margot. Um, so I kind of outlined it in three ways, like environment, um, uh, obviously money, and then politics. And I think starting with environment, there's so many shows people can go and listen to from, from what you've done on this show um, even recently and other articles. but. Um uh well, i'll start with the mental health, so that was definitely a thing yeah. with this younger generation um and Danny, I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago um just the the burden that's placed on young people to like I mentioned to fix all of these problems but um and again i my background is in sociology I have a master's in nonprofit management so I'm definitely in a Um, you know, problem solving through nonprofits mindset. I'm not a social worker, any of those things. I'll definitely say that. Um, But the mental health studies are very clear on what's happening with that. So definitely mental health um, with young people. And I think, again, a lot of the messaging towards them, whether it's environment, whether it's politics, um, whether it's money and finances is all like, these people are not for you. They're against you. The world is burning. It's just a lot of pressure. And then add COVID into the mix. And it's a very overwhelming time for a young person. So really you know, outlining what I think Bitcoin can do for uh, young people, for Gen Z, definitely environment. I think a lot of young people um, are really concerned about the environment, are constantly getting messages that climate change is here, um, that uh, the ocean levels are rising, the, um, that we have too much carbon going into the atmosphere. And I align myself with a lot of environmentalists that talk about that. Definitely not one of those case closed, it's gonna happen in this time frame type way. Um, but one of the things I think is that there's a lot of evidence that Bitcoin miners, let's immediately start with, we can reduce methane emissions immediately right now with, with Bitcoin miners are pretty short up to six months, right? Compared to other things. That's one of the biggest things is addressing that less carbon in the air. So Bitcoin mining can actually remove uh, carbon and make that less carbon emissions. And I think if, you know, to what extent are high schoolers going to go study that right now? I'm not sure, but it's going to help their future is what I'm saying. And some of them, if they catch on, that's great. Um, I think political system uh, and you know, encourage people to follow up with me, also read the article, um, taking money out of politics, right? Going towards that Bitcoin standard with politics. I think that's a good start um, for sure. And then I'm blanking on the other one that I mentioned in the article as well. So it's environment, politics, um, definitely finance. So just money in general um, and, and talking with young people like there's not um we were talking about cbdc's it could be stripped of savings like people could be stripped of savings and i think it's reintroducing the concept to young people of private property of money that they can hold a lot of young people um they're excited like you said of seeing TikTok and seeing like entrepreneurs a lot of them want to be entrepreneurs and focus on that whether it's realistic or not um bitcoin is a way into that and i think we're seeing a lot like with the fun stuff you're mentioning on bitcoin we can introduce some of that so I mean, that's a quick outline and definitely encourage people to check out the article. And it's a lot of other folks saying similar things. And I definitely don't want it to be a progressive only thing, but, um, you know, I'll keep throwing that out there.
1: And are you working on anything else?
0: Not at the moment. So uh, basically one of my goals for this year, well, my goal for this year, when I started off this year, I was like, I want to start writing and just get it out there. So I did that. And then that was like the second week of January, it went up on Bitcoin max. So I was like, oh, that's my goal for the year. So <laughs> like, um, you know, I need to, so I've been having a lot of conversations to people, connecting a lot of people, but I think really, you know, I'm kind of in this middle road of I'm definitely you know fiat day job, trying to see how Bitcoin works in that, but also getting pulled more and more into these Bitcoin conversations with folks. Does it to you, man? Yeah, yeah. And I've been connecting with a lot of people around that, which is really cool. Um, so, big. My biggest focus right now is trying to pitch Bitcoin to progressives, fighting against a bit in respectful ways against what I see as um, you know far right, alt right influence in Bitcoin and saying let's separate that garbage because uh, yep. a lot of it is garbage and then also the environment like I've been really jazzed up about Bitcoin mining and what that's doing for the environment. So I think for me, it's about progressive values in Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin mining for energy and you know green energy. Where do you stand on nuclear? Love it. Love it for sure. Um, Ben, I think it was recent. Love it, man. I'm just building my own nuclear plant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got out back. Yeah. I've got some in nuclear in waste with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny. Salem, we just started a um, an offshore wind farm project, um, which who knows how that's, that's going to go, honestly, because they're not allowed to... Now, nuclear is being reintroduced, right? But I think if we want a stable grid, if we want... Um, clean energy that isn't CO2 emitting, nuclear is the only option, solar and wind, you're not gonna have enough uptime. So I think it's a no brainer. Anyone saying that it's there's any question to it is ridiculous. They haven't read, you can read one article on it and be like, we gotta do this. And luckily, I think people behind the scenes are knowing that whether they're saying it outright or not, and we'll see more nuclear. Um, I forget who the gentleman you had on recently was talking about kind of the micro nuclear processors because Bitcoin mining definitely makes sense for like, you know that that excess energy like wind farms and solar when there's excess power on the grid and they can pay cheaply to get that right nuclear it kind of have to be constantly tapped into so i'd be very curious to see what how it actually works out financially for for those i think uh terrell wolf i believe is starting to to work with some nuclear generation in pennsylvania which is pretty cool um really like that team out there um but but nuclear's got to be the way and it's, it's got to be part of it absolutely got to be part of it yeah, yeah. Absolutely gotta be part of it. yeah.
1: Well, listen. Yeah, if people so. want to follow you, follow what you're doing. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. But how do
0: people follow you? On Twitter, um, K Trey Walsh, and then I'm on Noster too, and my Nostr pub stuff is in in Twitter. So you can hit me up on Twitter on Noster. I usually just kind of goof around. So okay. yeah. Trey, great to meet you. Love this conversation. Yeah. We should definitely do it again Thanks, sometime.
1: Pete. Yeah, you Honor. take care. Thank you. Okay, would you make of that one? enjoy that. Now, listen, I know there's going to be some people who were triggered by some of the things we talked about in that conversation. That's fine. Reach out to me. Let me know what you think. As I said in the intro, I'm always going to talk to people from the left, from the right, in the middle. I think it's really important we have a range of people coming on the show to discuss Bitcoin. Because like I said, these banking issues... I don't care if you're from the left or the right. They affect everybody. And so Bitcoin is a solution for everybody. So I'm always going to do this. So yeah, I hope you understand. Anyway, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. It's hello at did.com Or you can come over, join our Patreon. You can jump into our Discord. And also, as I said in the intro, we've got this amazing run of events coming up in April in Bedford. Bedford look like they're going to win the league. So we're going to be celebrating this. We've got hangouts. We've got meetups. We've got our last home game of the season against Tame United. We've also got an amazing WBD Live with Jeff Booth, Ben Ark, James Lavish, and Lawrence Leppard. Hopefully going to see a bunch of you there. If you want to get tickets, head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. All right, I will see you all on Friday.